want to welcome all of you. Wow, my voice has some echo. Oh, I enjoyed worship. There are truths that were expressed in those songs that are great daily reminders. And yeah, to have, as Colossians say, to be conveyed from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love is, that was a violent act. And there were things that needed to occur to pave the way for that. And we sung about that. That was awesome. So, as I get my bearings, if you have been with us for the past few weeks, you know that we've gone through, Clayton did three weeks on forgiveness, culminating in an opportunity for individuals to actually forgive. Which, that is not a small thing. It's as if you stare into the abyss and have to confront what is oftentimes quite ugly and a painful reminder and yet have the wherewithal by the spirit to actually release a claim. That's forgiveness. And so following upon that, you know, I wanted to just pick up you know, on some themes of forgiveness you know, because it's, it's such an important thing that ongoingly we as believers are called to do and, and Clayton did talk about that. But I do want to recap a little bit just to repeat because sometimes just to remind ourselves through repetition and confession in a sense is part of the journey that we have to be transformed. I wish everything I heard one time was immediately enabled to transform my thinking via truth, but maybe I'm just the only one that that doesn't happen so quickly. So, just, just Clayton and myself, we are probably the most stubborn somehow, some way, right? Anyway, so just to recap, and this is literally taken from Clayton's slides, of what is forgiveness? And I'm gonna read it. To grant free pardon for or remission of any offense or debt, to give up all claim, even a claim of justice. Forgiveness is an act of the will, not the emotions. And the difficulty which I just tried to express, tried to give you just a perspective that I have having gone through a process like that, it is a, an incredibly difficult thing because there typically is, as, as forgiveness, there is a valid claim in some form or the other. And to actually acknowledge that is, as what I referred to, that's what it felt like for me. You literally stare into the abyss and you see the ugliness of the situation because to confront it is the only way you can acknowledge it and then to release it. Just what I know by my experience. And it's an act of the will because your flesh will never say, yes, that's what I want to do today. Give up my claim? You know, it's a, I have a ticket that somebody now owes me because I hold this ticket. And to willingly give, give that up for nothing, that is not natural in the nature of man. Forgiveness is ongoing. And Clayton spent some time talking about, you know, when Peter said, you know, how many times? You know, because it's always good to have a standard because if you meet the standard, you're good. 
but Jesus never talked about standards as in this is what you must do. It's always getting to the measures of the heart. Up to seven times? And Jesus is like, no. 70 times seven, which is just ongoingly, as often, as Clayton says, as often as it takes. So that's what, it was a good foundational opportunity to address a topic that is very difficult, by nature, incredibly personal. And the benefits of that are astounding because freedom comes. And I know many of you entered into a degree of freedom just by being able to stare into the abyss and to forgive. So I wanted to pick up from that, and because it's ongoing, and there are really practical things, and I'm trying to be practical in that, and yet I, I, I have a perspective because I, like yourselves, have been on a journey that includes forgiveness. And I can tell you some of the things that have helped me, and I hope they will help you as well. And so we're going to start in Colossians chapter 1. And it's just a verse that has meant so much to me. It's challenged me, and I trust it will challenge you. And the context of Colossians 1, and I actually quoted part of that, there is this conveyance that you were validly under the dominion of darkness, and there was a conveyance into the kingdom of the Son. And it's Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, and it says, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. And I underlined in this verse 22 to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. And we are going to talk about forgiveness specifically in this context. This is something that is meaningful to me and I trust it will be to you. See, the whole premise of forgiveness is that, as Clayton mentioned, there was an unforgivable debt that the, the unmerciful servant he received forgiveness of, and yet when he was owed such a small thing in comparison, he could not. And this verse is so challenging because it forces you to confront an identity of who you are in your standing before God. Because as it says, there is a presentation. There is a presentation, and that presentation is you. You now have come before the Almighty God and stand before him. That is how you are now presented. And if you can imagine what God would see as he looks upon you as having been presented, to have been brought into his court, standing before him, there's nobody else that is now the focus of the attention. It is all upon you. What does he see? Because that's what this verse is talking about. You have been presented and you are now in his sight. His entire gaze is transfixed upon you and what does he see? And if you can place yourself in the very courtroom of heaven before the throne, and you can imagine for yourself, ooh, I trust I am ready. I trust I am presentable, actually. What is actually very natural in the heart of man is to think through everything of yourself that, oh, he's going to see that. He's going to see this. He's going to see 
the element of my life that I'm not proud of, that I'm ashamed of, that defines me in some way. Why? Because I think about it all the time. So you stand before him having been presented, and in his sight, what does he see? It tells you. When he looks at you, gaze transfixed upon you, he sees you holy, blameless, and above reproach. That's what he sees. Why? Because you've been forgiven. For me, and I trust potentially for you as well, that very thought is not a natural thought. It is hard to imagine that when you stand before the Almighty having been presented to him, having his gaze transfixed upon you, that what he sees is perfection. None of us, including myself, naturally think that way, and that's the scandalous nature of the gospel, is that you actually are in Christ, and so what he sees is Christ. Perfection. You do not have a righteousness of your own. You have his righteousness, and that's what he sees. And it will challenge you to the core to understand that positionally, when he looks upon you, having been presented to him, that's what he sees. Because you've been forgiven. Scandalous. If you just spend some time like I did thinking about it, it forces you to confront who you are before him. It forces you to confront that you actually have been forgiven. It forces you to confront that you can actually not be any more righteousness than how he looks at you right now. It's actually not possible. That's what he sees. In his sight, that's how he sees me, and that's how he sees you. As one forgiven, now I... The reason why I have presented this verse as something of my journey is because now this has helped me to understand my state of having forgiven others. Because now I switch the scene and is now somebody else who has been presented before me and now what do I see? See, it is a valid claim that we often have. There's a reason why forgiveness is a choice because it's something that you willingly give up. You have something valid in your hand is a claim. And it is a choice. And you can choose not to give it up. And in my journey, one of the tests that I've used because this verse has forced me to think it through in a way that I had to actually be somewhat introspective about where my state of with respect to forgiveness. So if you're a normal person, you've been hurt. If you're a normal person, somebody has offended you. If you're a normal person just living life around people, this is going to happen. And so it's happened to me. Surprise, surprise. And there are some instances that are so painful that it dominates your thinking, and you, as best as you can try to forget it, you try, and you just don't want to think about it. But that's not the point. For me, when something is presented, what that means is it has now come to mind. You see the person. Somebody reminded you of the incident. And now that is as if something has now come into your gaze and has been presented to you, and now what do I see? And for me, I had to be self-introspective, at least on that point, to say, 
what I see now is the blemish. What I see now is how they failed me. They violated a duty to me. That's what I see. That is what comes to mind. That is what I feel. And if I can just be honest with myself, I had to say to myself, I don't think you have forgiven them. Because that's what I see. So I tell you this just to help us. Because there are practical things that we go through when you're dealing with issues. And forgiveness is a process. Let me just say that. Forgiveness is a process. And the opportunity to forgive is there. And sometimes it just takes time. I had a situation that I was actually needing to forgive. And it was presented to me at least six times a week over a course of months. And... I'm sorry. <laughs> You're forgiven. <laughs> and it was, I'm just going to be honest, it was not so fun because whenever that was presented to my mind, it forced me to relive it. That's why I, when I talk about staring into the abyss, that's what I mean. I was forced to relive it, replay it. Think it through, like, how could they do that? Why did they do that? I don't understand what was going on on their side. Could they not see? And it forced me to deal with it. And if I could say, actually, why it was good, it was because I actually couldn't hide away from it and think I had forgiven and actually say, well, I don't think about it. It's like, no, it was in my face multiple times a week for months. And that was part of why I speak about this. It was just a simple way to understand, what do I see? Are they holy, blameless, above reproach? It's just practical. It's a journey. This is something practical. And the reason why I can give you this as a very practical way for you to assess where you are in the state of forgiveness is that you can't read this without understanding how God sees you. You can't read this verse without just saying, oh, I just somehow failed. It's like, no, you actually have to read this verse and actually receive the freedom as understanding who you're, what your identity is before the Father as you have been presented to him and how he sees you. That is the very context that you can now assess where you are in this journey of forgiveness. As Clayton said, forgiveness does not necessarily mean reconciliation. And if you were really astute, you probably would have seen that in this verse, well, it didn't say forgiveness, it said reconcile. Yet now he has reconciled you in the body of his flesh through death. That's what it says. See, the word reconcile means to bring back a former state of harmony. That's what reconcile means. And I'm not going to cover all that Clayton mentioned with respect to the forgiveness relative to reconciliation, but I'm talking about some, a practical tool for you to understand elements of forgiveness and reconciliation as well. Clayton also, he, 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 in literally one of his bullet points, he says, God's forgiveness releases us 
or he said, forgiveness releases us into repentance. And I'm going to show you a little bit about what that means in this context, because it's a principle. And there was something written, and I kind of modified it a little bit, but just to give you a picture of you as you have been presented and understanding forgiveness in the context of reconciliation. So I'm just going to read it. Before sin entered, God and man stood face to face with each other. When sin entered, man turned his back on God. This caused God to turn his back on man. The holiness of God and the sinfulness of man were at enmity. How can a holy God and sinful man be reconciled? God took the initiative in effecting the reconciliation. This he did in Christ through the substitutionary and atoning death of Christ on the cross. Christ's death satisfied the demands of God, and now God has turned his face toward man. It remains now for man to turn around and face God. Man can do this because Christ Jesus stands between him and God. Forgiveness, God's forgiveness releases, has released us unto repentance. And that repentance is the condition for reconciliation. But he's made a way for that. So, I wanted to continue on with forgiveness, but for a particular reason. Forgiveness, as I said, is ongoing. And we have, we have a group of believers, a body, a local expression of the church. And these issues will naturally pop up. Why? Because we're people. And the word makes quite clear that this body of believers is the body of Christ for which he is the head. And in Romans 12, 4, it's great because these are very well-known scriptures. So Romans 12, 4 says, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Probably learned that in children's church. Probably had a craft and an illustration to understand the parts of the body. At least for us now, I can say this, that when you think of us, each of us, a collection of individuals made in the image of God, uniquely gifted, we are so united because of Christ, so as to be mutually dependent. We are not bound by contract, although we could have, in theory, you know, a set of bylaws that define how we govern. Yes, that's true, but we are not, because we're all, we were brought into the family of God and have been restored in relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ as the mediator. And when that happens and we get conveyed into the kingdom of the Son, we are now part of a body. The implication of that is 
I trust none of you would want to lose connection with the head so as somehow to be disconnected from the body. And because you're members of the body, I hope you're not thinking, how can I get out? I hope you're not thinking to yourself, yeah, this isn't quite working for me. It hasn't met my expectations, so I'm out. I mean, you can break contracts anytime you want. If your relationship was defined by a contract and somehow it didn't quite work the way you thought it should work, yeah, you can break the contract. It might be cheaper for you to do that. That's not what we're talking about here. You're part of a body joined together by the head and we're mutually dependent upon. What happens to one affects the other. And it's impossible for us to say, yeah, I, I just have no concern for the other part of the body. So how we relate to each other, being the body of Christ, is actually quite something that we attend to. And that's where forgiveness begins to play a role. So Psalm 133 says this. It starts by saying, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And that word behold is actually quite a striking word because it's an imperative word. It's basically, look at this. Look at this. Behold. It's the problem. Behold is not a word for like everyday English language, right? But the, the point of the word behold is that it is an imperative. It's like, come take a look at this. It is seldom seen. And what is seldom seen? How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Now, dwelling together is not a convenient thing because you get in each other's business and just doing normal things, and that actually tests all the bounds of unity. It just does naturally. Like, I can be much more feeling unified with somebody if I don't see them. I'm not advocating that, by the way. I'm just saying the way I look at it. You know, if, let's use Clayton and myself. Yeah. Clayton and I, you know, are on a team, for lack of a better word. But, you know, if we kind of saw each other for 15 minutes of conversation every other month and we kind of did our own thing, I would bet, you know, we would both probably feel somewhat unified. But certainly, whether or not we are truly unified, that's not the point, is that the opportunity for us to actually have the South African thing, argy-bargy, goes way down. Because we're just not even interacting. But when you're in, around, talking, living, dwelling together, all of a sudden the opportunities are there quite rampant, quite frequent. Behold, that is an amazing thing to see. And I'm not here to give you the 20 points of how you maintain unity. And I'm going to, it says, it is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. But this I want to talk to you about. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. If you could, because in my mind I'm trying to explain an idea that I think would be helpful. If you could, and I know some of you are so nice that 
I mean, you kind of know your side of things, but you don't really think about the other side that could be your enemy. Can you just join with me, just indulge me if you will. So if you were about to enter a battle, it's probably helpful for you to know your enemy, would it not? I unfortunately have to do that probably more often than many of you, but if you could just indulge me and just start to think a little bit of the way sometimes I have to think. And when I consider the fact that you were conveyed from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love, you have an enemy. And that enemy, if you would, I would highly recommend that you consider your enemy to be highly intelligent, highly strategic, and very rational about what he's trying to do. If you don't think like that, there is an element of naivete that you're going to now open yourself up to be surprised in a way that you don't want to be surprised. So if we consider now, in the context of Psalm 133, what is happening here? You see, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, for there the Lord commanded the blessing. What does that mean? What it means is this, the condition for the blessing has been satisfied. It's called unity. It is now being commanded by God, as in, I say it, it's going to happen. There is no other condition that needs to be satisfied in this case for the blessing to come, which is life forevermore. It, if, I say, if you're in charge, if you're really in charge, if you say it's done, it's done. There's no opposition to your will. In the very throne room of heaven, the edict comes, I command the blessing. There is no condition more that needs to be satisfied. So the enemy, just imagine this, the enemy is super legalistic. He knows the exact rules and the rules of engagement. He knows how, the, how this thing is going to work. And he knows that if they are unified, the blessing is done. It is commanded. It will happen. How could I possibly intervene to prevent what is a sure thing from happening? Break unity. That is the only plan. That is the only strategy that the enemy has to disrupt what is a done deal because if he says it, if he commands it, it is done. Blessing. Blessing. Hallelujah. Exactly. There is only one avenue to prevent what is a sure thing from coming down the road, and that is to break the only condition, which is unity. Ah, now you might say to yourself, some of what I see around the world begins to make a little bit more sense. If I begin to sow division and discord, that is, it, it's not random because he just wants people to fight, no. The intentionality and the strategic nature of bringing division is to prevent exactly what the Lord said, this is the way it's going to work. Where I find unity, I command the blessing. Find me another condition. There is no other condition. 
And the enemy understands that, the enemy believes it, the enemy operates because it's true. So the only way now to prevent the blessing from coming is to bring and sow division and discord. That is the only way. In Proverbs 6, 19, I don't, I, I don't think I gave them this, but it's talking about the wicked man. It says, a false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among brethren. Please understand, when I talk about this, I'm just reading from the Bible, by the way. When I talk about a wicked man, please understand, I'm not talking about the nature of the man being wicked. What I'm talking about is the spirit operating behind the man, the spirit of wickedness that desires to operate and have expression through a man. So what that verse is basically saying is the spirit of wickedness behind a man desires to sow discord among brethren. And I gave you the reason why. That if I can break the bounds of unity I now have assurance that the blessing cannot be commanded. That's what's at stake. Not as a heavy about me looking around saying, oh, you know, don't, don't divide, don't dismiss. No. It's more about for us to understand the value of unity. If you understand the value of unity, each of us individually, families, understand actually what's at stake and we're now heightened in our desire to preserve unity. That's an issue of the heart. That is something that we absolutely can speak to. Not about putting some standard about whether somebody is sowing discord or division. If you understand what is the game behind what is unfolding, you're much more equipped to actually deal with it. And hence why this topic of forgiveness, yes, you will be free to forgive, but the unfolding impact of you being able to forgive, which costs you, is in the context of blessing in the community in which we desire to live in unity. That's a much larger scope of impact that I never want us to diminish from our field of view. And you might say to yourself, wow, that's kind of big. It is. Like it's beyond me. It's beyond any one of us, to be sure. But, that's God's economy. If I sincerely want the best for each of you, if we as a leadership sincerely desire for the people of this body to be blessed, then the issue of unity becomes much larger than simply preventing us from having argy-bargy. I just want you to understand our perspective of why what seemingly is a very individual thing has now been catapulted to a much larger corporate scale. And our heart would be that you, because of 
the heart of the Father, that there would be blessing. In Acts, there is a word that is translated with one accord. And I'm gonna go through this really quickly because it's just to illustrate the very concept that I'm talking about. Unity means, unfortunately, unity has been under attack. The very definition of what unity means has actually been under attack because to undermine the very concept, now I think you can understand why and what's at stake. But in Acts chapter one, which is the birth of the church and what transpired, there were many things that happened and in Acts 1.13, it says this, and, and talks about the disciples. I'm going to skip a little bit later to the verse. and says, these all continued, the disciples, the apostles, with one accord in prayer and supplication. And this word that was translated one accord means with one mind and with one passion. That's what unified them. That's why it says it's translated with one accord. And so... This instance of its usage in Acts chapter one, what transpired right after that? They actually appointed the replacement for Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus. And you say, well, that's not that big a deal. Oh, <laughs> they just had a transition of leadership. 120 people, and they had to figure out, okay, who's gonna take his place? If you've been a part of any leadership shift or change or transition, you know that there's no such thing as success is guaranteed. But it was successfully done. And it opened the way for what you're going to see. Because that was at the very genesis of what the church, in a sense, sprung out of. And a shift in leadership, successful. In Acts 2.1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And what was the result of that? What immediately transpired? The Holy Spirit was poured out and 3,000 were saved. Acts chapter two, verse 46 says, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. What was the result of that? And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Acts chapter four, verse 23 says, and being let go, they went to their companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and, that, and all that is in them. What was the result of that? The place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Acts 5, verse 12, it says, And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. What was the result? Believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Acts chapter 8, verse 5, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. What was the result? Paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in the city. Each instance that the believers were in one accord, dramatic impact followed. 
where there is unity, the Lord commands the blessing, life forevermore. I'm just going to end it here, but to say this. This verse has meaning to me personally. It's Proverbs 11, verse 10. And it says, when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. That verse has meaning to me because when I can imagine what all that we could endeavor to do in this local expression of the body of Christ and all of the individuals that we have the privilege to dwell together with. And out of all the things we could imagine unfolding in our midst, when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. In my mind, I'll just be very honest, I'm trying to understand the full magnitude of that. When the word says that we are to be salt of the earth and light of the world, I see that here. That in a world for which division and enmity is actually quite common and probably promoted, that there is actually a possible for the most diverse group of individuals yet to be unified under Christ and having the blessing commanded, the righteous striving and the city rejoicing. I pray for that. I pray for us. I pray specifically for wisdom to understand how to create as the word, only word I have, how to create a platform where this becomes a reality in this expression of local body life. We need wisdom. And part of it is such that what is right, what is good, becomes, is promoted. And that's a very simple thought, I think, but yet in the reality of just normal people doing life together is significantly more complicated. And it is for that reason why the role of forgiveness, the role of reconciliation to the degree that it can come, the actual impact and the actual return on that is far beyond what we naturally think. That is what we are about. I believe that is what God is about, because he said it. Where I see unity, I will command the blessing. And what he commands, it will be done. And as part of the leadership here, we want that. We desire that. We desire to see that unfold in different capacities, in different lives, in different expressions, in different families, in every facet of life, because what is right, just, and true, that is his kingdom.
I would like to do something that is just a prophetic action, if you will. And if you don't mind, would you stand? And if you would, if you're comfortable with it, just to hold the hand of the person next to you. If you can reach them, don't, don't be legalistic about it. This is just a picture of unity. It's just a picture. It's a prophetic action, if you will. And if you heard anything that I said today, you can understand that the, when the enemy sees this, he gets very concerned. Why? Because where unity exists. He commands the blessing. The enemy's only recourse is to break bonds of unity. That's the only recourse. Lord, we are unified under you. You are the head. You have all authority and power. It is under your lordship that we even have access into the very family of God. And we bless your name. You, by your spirit, are the only one that can unify a people as diverse, every tribe, every nation. Only you, by your spirit, can do that. And I say over us, preserve your people in the bonds of unity. Preserve. And where you find unity, let your blessing flow. I thank you, Lord. I thank you. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Let it be done. Let it be done. Amen. Amen. Yes, Well, <clears throat> wow, that's loud. That was outstanding. It really was. I encourage you to listen to it. I, just to end, um, I just want to very quickly tell you of a dream I had about my mother. She, she wouldn't like me probably sharing this, but in the dream it was my dad and I, we were coming against some form of darkness. Sorry, guys, I like, do we sit? Do we stand? <laughs> you can stand on the chair if you want. That's fine. Um, in the dream, you know, the Lord speaks to me a lot in dreams. We were, we were dealing with some sort of darkness and demons and you know it's a dream and so we were doing all that we know how my dad and I we just do that just in terms of what we do and we're known a little bit for that spiritual warfare and just you know taking care of business in a sense and uh, we were dealing with it in this dream but we were losing and my dad was very surprised <laughs> because you know the Lord never loses but 
and he, I could tell he was like surprised, and I was surprised, and, and my mother was there. And um, she looked at us, <laughs> you know, it's a, a dream world. She looked at us as though we were like, like children, like, don't you know what you're doing? And, um, and she looked at us, and she looked at the enemy, and she said, don't worry, I got this, which she would never do in the natural. And there was like a in, dream, a ball of, like, power inside of her. And she just really, and it just, whew, and and everything was one. Everything was simple. And but in that ball, I said to her afterwards, "What was that?" And she just smiled and she said, "Love." And I woke up with an understanding of the power of what Dwayne just spoke about. Love. So thank you for being with us. I pray that you. God spoken to today, not so much by man, but by the Lord. That's our desire, and that you met with him. That's our desire. So if you're visiting, there's something on uh, out of, towards the entrance. There's something there for you if you haven't received one yet. But other than that, we will see you soon. And there's a fast coming up. So, you know, some I would say eat as much as you can now. <laughs> some I would say start eating less so it's easier. Depend on your personality. Bless you guys. See you next week. morning free life church and happy sunday we are so glad you've joined us today we would love to connect with you connection cards are a great way to let us know if you're new to us any needs or comments you may have or how we can connect with you to submit a card simply scan the qr code on the back of the seat or visit the connect page on our website if you are a first time visitor please stop by the connection corner in the lobby to receive your welcome bag we look forward to meeting you. March 12th through March 19th, we will be engaging in a week of corporate fasting and prayer. We encourage you to fast during the week as you feel led, breaking the fast on Saturday. Prayer nights will be held Monday through Friday from 7 to 8 p.m. and are open to all. A list of resources on fasting is available on our events page. Join us as we unite to set aside the special time with the Lord. Are you handy with a screwdriver? Is Lowe's your favorite place to shop? If that's you, we would love to have your help with minor repairs or maintenance needs. Projects will vary and may be completed at your discretion and availability. Let us know if you can help by scanning the code on your maintenance team list. Here at Free Life, we believe in kingdom giving and we invite you to give towards the work God is doing through us. The easiest way to give is by scanning the QR code here with your mobile device. Checks or cash may be dropped in the connect box at the back of the sanctuary. We thank you for your partnership with us. Stay informed of upcoming events, holiday schedules, and weather closures by signing up for text updates and our newsletter. Simply text free life to 41400 to sign up. Remember, to learn about all our upcoming events, please see the events page on our website. Thanks so much for joining us today.